Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Next time you're at a wedding somewhere and it's the reception and you've had a few glasses of wine and you can't drive home because you're legally impaired, think about that text. You need to straighten something out in your life. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, but be filled with the Spirit. So, so there's, there's, there's something of an opening of our hearts to the Holy Spirit, the way we would open our hearts to excesses in other areas. There's an intentionality to it, something important in it. What I want to talk, many things you could talk about. What I want to look at tonight for a little bit, and I know we got kind of uh, burgers and stuff like that, and I won't be late. I want to talk to you about the, how can I put it, the special portfolio of the Holy Spirit as it relates to prayer, seeking God, waiting on God. Listen to these texts. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit, we looked at this last Sunday night. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I think that's online, by the way, or it should be soon. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I, I made the concluding remark that you have Jesus interceding at the right hand of the Father. So there's access to a holy God. A sinful person like Don Horbin has access to a holy God because of the interceding work of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But that's not the only help I get. The Holy Spirit intercedes in here, helping me pray, helping me relate to the God to whom I now have access through Jesus Christ's shed blood. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, with groanings too deep for words. And he who, this is the same Spirit, who searches hearts, that's what he does, gets right in here and helps me to, helps me to be aware of sins that I might not be thinking about. Because when things are just broadly accepted in the culture, we tend to conclude that they must be acceptable before God as well. And it's only the Holy Spirit who gets in here and says, Don, I don't care what the culture says. Here's what I'm showing you in your heart. So he searches. Beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. Painful, but beautiful. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, there we looked at that last Sunday night. That's how one of the texts, how the Holy Spirit helps us Praying. Here, but here's a couple others. Ephesians 6.18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Prayer, speaking to God. Supplication, is, that's a, a word we don't use much anymore. Supplication has to do specifically with the work of, of repentance. It, it's the kind of praying that that again opens my heart in confession, contrition, humility. That's supplication. The Holy Spirit helps me to do that. I'm naturally quite proud. The Holy Spirit comes and does that work in my heart. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's people that are far from God. It breaks my heart. Jude 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. We'd like to do that. 
pray in the Holy Spirit. So here are these verses, kind of drawing out the main thrust of what we're going to look at tonight. Um, I have a role in cooperating with, inviting, making time for, ridding my mind of distractions so I can actually hear what the Holy Spirit is doing, sense what he's doing in my heart, particularly at times of prayer. I want to look at now things that might cause me to miss out on that. Because it doesn't seem to be an easy experience for all of us all the time. What can go wrong? What short circuits the Spirit interceding? I've got three things I want to look at. We grieve the Holy Spirit by a hypocritical lifestyle. Two verses, two texts actually. Matthew 6, 5 to 8. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. Okay, so I know the subject here. The subject is hypocrisy. You must not, Don, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand, pray in the synagogues, at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The reward is other people see them and go, boy, wow, it's quite a Christian you got there. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, it's not the only kind of praying we're supposed to do because I'm supposed to agree with two or three like we're going to do later on tonight. That's a commandment in the Scriptures. But Jesus is saying that this kind of prayer won't be authentic without that kind of prayer in your closet, door closed, honest before God. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he says, this is Jesus, and when you pray, do not heap up Empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Isn't it refreshing that Jesus says, you don't have to pray a long time when you pray in public. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So that's one text. I'm going to talk about it. Here's the second. It's really short. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think there's a basic understanding of what hypocrisy is. It was years ago. I have a friend who pastors and went through a bit of a rough time and different people in the church who uh, were aware that he wasn't a perfect person. It wasn't sexually immoral, nothing like that. Thought of him as a hypocrite. He got up and he preached God's word on Sunday and they weren't happy with something he said or something he did. And I think that that's a misunderstanding of hypocrisy. A hypocrite, a hypocrite is not someone who is unable to live up to everything he or she teaches. You'd have to be perfect to do that. A hypocrite isn't somebody who, who, can't, who can't measure up to the standards of the Bible that he might teach in a, in a home group, from the pulpit of a church, in a Bible study, and the truth that he proclaims is greater than the life he can live. That's not hypocrisy. That's, that's humanity. Hypocrisy is when I want you to think that I can measure up to things when I really don't, but I, I, I want the image. Hypocrisy is the pretending part. It's not the failing part. It's the pretending part. It's, it's, it's the image that I try to keep up. That's hypocrisy. 
Our first passage relates hypocrisy to the issue of prayer. The hypocrite is one who prays, talking to God, but the big concern is with the gratification of self. Pride, image, success. So he's, he's, he's talking to God, he's on the street corner, people see him, but he's filled with wrong motives. That's hypocrisy. He loves to appear religious, in fact, more religious than he, in fact, is. He loves to convince others that, that he's really, really devout. The second passage, Blessed Are the Pure in Heart, is the antidote to hypocrisy. The pure in heart have no mixture of any other motives in their devotion to God. This is what Jesus is trying to put a wall around and protect when he says, in terms of your relationship with me, you are what you are in that closed room by yourself, not what you appear to be in front of the crowd. That's purity of heart. That they want nothing less than to have their whole lives glorify God. They're, They're aware that their whole lives don't glorify God like that. It breaks their heart. They grieve over that. And because they live before God and not for the applause of others, they don't need other people to applaud their spirituality. They don't need other people to notice their prayer life. Hypocrites will have no time for private holiness. Hypocrites will have no time for private prayer because there's nothing gained for them in it. They get no public gratification. They get no reward. That's what Jesus says they have. They pray on the street corners, long robes, long prayers, elegant words, and then Jesus says they have their reward. So Jesus says, even in Matthew 6, 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. This is Jesus saying, hypocrisy shuts out the work of the Spirit in prayer very effectively. So we grieve the Holy Spirit by hypocrisy. It's it's not something we can easily detect on our own. It, it creeps in. You, you need time alone listening to the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's, here's how you might know. Remember I said that first text in Romans, the Holy Spirit, he who searches the hearts. How would he reveal hypocrisy in, a, in your heart, my heart? If I were doing something in the church and it was a thankless task and no one gave me any recognition, no one gave me any thanks, no one even seemed to notice what I did. And if that troubled me deeply, that would be the Holy Spirit's way of showing me that I said what I was doing, I was doing just for the Lord but there's something else I really missed. And that recognition was really very important to me. The Holy Spirit would search my heart. 
and reveal that kind of stuff to me. That's how the Holy Spirit reveals hypocrisy. Or, or when I, I treasure the grace that I receive, free grace from Jesus on the cross, in spite of my unworthiness, in spite of my undeserving character, I get forgiveness, I get mercy, I get grace. And then, and then somebody else wrongs me in some way, and I want revenge. Where's that Matthew 18 text? Get one or two, go and get things, and then take it to the church. I want, I want justice here, Pastor Don. And the Holy Spirit would say, but, but look how you received grace. You didn't qualify for it. In fact, you were, you were an enemy of God's. You were ungodly when Jesus died for you. You hypocrite. How can you be so mean and demanding when you've received grace so freely? And the Holy Spirit, he searches that out. You hypocrite, Dawn. After receiving grace so freely, you can't extend it freely? You're just pretending here. All these are ways in which the Holy Spirit will search my heart and reveal hypocrisy. I took too long on that. Hypocrisy is one way in which we quench the Spirit. Two. We grieve the Holy Spirit, and I know nobody in this room would do this. We grieve the Holy Spirit by love of wealth and material goods. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things Things. We know what that means, don't we? Things, clothes, cars, houses, cottages, swimming pools. Things. Jewelry. Don't love the world. Don't love these things. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we bring nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. You feel like these, these just don't... These must be meant for somebody somewhere else. They don't seem to even fit with our thinking, do they? Food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving... that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. There's such a powerful truth being dealt with there. I can think of, you know, when you've been in a church for a long time, I can think of faces that I haven't seen for years. With some people, they got angry. They got angry with something that someone said, something someone did, they left the church. With some, they, they, they don't like prayer groups, and they left the church. 
But I can think of specific faces, people that used to serve in this church, serve on the platform, and the only reason they're not here anymore is they got a lot of money very quickly. And it destroyed them. Now, they don't see it. But it did. That text is powerfully true. And the Bible, the reason we need to think about it a bit is the Bible says this particular problem is going to escalate in the last days. That's what it says. That's, by the way, that's in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And you're thinking, okay, so like Christians in the Ukraine, uh, we're going to be bombed. What do you mean? What's going to happen? Well, there's going to be times of difficulty. Now he's going to explain. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. Now, when he says there's going to be times of difficulty, you'll notice that list. There's nothing coming from out here making life hard for us. That's not what he's talking. He's not talking about antichrist in these verses. He's talking about stuff that's going to come out of here that's going to make things very difficult in the last times. Christians won't be dealing with these things. So like the love of wealth, the love of wealth, like hypocrisy. So that was hindrance number one, grieving the spirit with hypocrisy, a a lack of honesty. Secondly, a love of wealth. And love of wealth, like hypocrisy, the reason this is so dangerous is because good people can be disobedient in both those areas without ever feeling like they're sinning against God. I'm not betraying my marriage vows. I'm not robbing a bank. I'm not cursing. I'm not into pornography. In fact, the text specifically says people will continue with the appearance of godliness. And so these are two ways. Hypocrisy, love of wealth and pleasure, two ways in which we can quench the work of the Spirit in our prayer lives and not feel like we're doing anything that bad. That, that's why all of those texts that I just read, they're, they're given to Christian people, disciples. Three. Don't worry, this is the last one. We grieve the Holy Spirit by not fully confessing and forsaking our sins. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Luke 14, 11, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He's called the Holy Spirit because he takes inward purity in my life looking at things like hypocrisy, areas where I'm all image but no depth, love of wealth and pleasure, 
he, he, he takes things like that in my life very seriously. And, and when I don't confess those things, when I don't bring them into light, he's grieved. Here's how this can happen. Here's what I mean by not confessing sin and forsaking it. A, by confessing sin only in very general terms. So confession is just kind of rushed through. I know I'm a sinner. None of us is perfect. I can confess my sin in a way that it's done so quickly that I confess my sin without actually feeling the weight of my sin. Without actually feeling the kind of pain that my sin brings to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sharing that feeling. There's no mourning for sin when it's just confessed in general terms. And we need to be careful. Churches, are, we're big on celebration. We're big on everything being positive. The band, the music, the lighting. Uh, it's all got to be up. And, and the danger is God doesn't want me always feeling up. Sometimes he wants me feeling broken. So confessing sin in general terms. By confessing, B, certain sins while ignoring cherished ones. I think the safe rule is to always deal with the sins about which the Holy Spirit probes your heart. You'll know it's the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you about the sins that are the most costly to forsake because you're not going to come up with those on your own. When he presses into your heart something that, that, that really makes you go, ouch. That's how the Holy Spirit tests our loyalty right out of the starting gate. Here's another weakness in confessing our sin. C, by blaming others for their guilt... And using their wickedness to justify an unscriptural response on my part. See, I have this natural sense of justice when I've been wronged by someone. And it feels very righteous. I can tell you the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. And it's very simple. Unrighteous anger is what you feel against me. Righteous anger is what I feel against you. That's the way we are. We have that rising up in our hearts. Whenever I I know, I know, I know, I am grieving the Holy Spirit when he talks to me about an attitude that I have and I justify it because of what that person did. I know I'm always grieving the Holy Spirit, always grieving the Holy Spirit when I think like that. And here's the thing, we all think like that. (laughs) We all think like that. D, and we're done. By confessing sins casually that we have no deep intention of turning away from. I think, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit searching the heart as he intercedes with us. It's important, whenever I confess any sin to God, I need to ask myself, 
Do I fully intend to root this thing out of my life right now? Am I already, am I already scheming to persist in this course of disobedience and then to ask God for forgiveness? The Bible calls that presumptuous sin. I'm going to do a teaching on presumptuous sin. I think it's rampant. I know full well what I want to do. And I know God doesn't approve of it. But I am going to do it. And then I'll ask him for forgiveness. Who knows? In another three months, they'll let me usher again in church. That's presumptuous sin. That's presumptuous sin. There's no forgiveness for presumptuous sins. Because, well, Pastor Don, what are you saying? God can't forgive? Not a bit. God can forgive anything. The problem with presumptuous sins is it's impossible to repent. Because the nature of a presumptuous sin is, I know I want to keep doing this and I'm going to. So if I'm going to keep sinning and I have no intention of stopping sinning, in what sense can I repent of that sin? Well, I, I can't. <laughs> you, you can't repent of something and have no intention of forsaking it. I'm not talking now about someone who fails again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking presumptuous sin isn't that. Presumptuous sin isn't seriously, seriously repenting of my sin and getting tripped up in it again. That's not presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin is even while confessing it, I know full well this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. I sure hope God's grace covers this. There's no out for that. There's no out. So all of that, hypocrisy, love of wealth and pleasure, and a failure to confess sin seriously. Those three things, I'm not saying that that's it. But those three things would, would make up 80% of grieving the Holy Spirit in my prayer life. He wants to energize and help. Hypocrisy, love of wealth and pleasure, the failure to seriously confess and repent and forsake sin. Jesus, make those three things stick out in our hearts and minds pretty vividly. We're, 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 we're good at learning truth that the PowerPoint puts the slide up, I see the points, I can remember them. That's the easy part. It's, it's when you come by your spirit and you want to take those things and write them on our hearts. And so make all of us, make all of us tender, humble, good listeners to the Holy Spirit as you speak to each of us in your own way. Search our hearts. Intercede for us before the throne of grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.